really great to be part of the Summer Emerge Virtual Cannabis Conference today. And I'm going to talk a little bit about hemp-derived CBD compliance, some of the regulatory and commercial considerations. First, I'll talk about the company I work for, CV Sciences, and a little bit about myself for some context. And then I'll talk about, talk about the type of plant that you're working with, whether it be high THC or low THC, will really dictate the type of market access you have. And then I'll talk about the space I work in, which is the, the federally legal hemp-derived cannabinoid space. And I'm going to close with a little bit of speculation on how all of this might shape out if there were to be a change in uh, federal uh, uh, legalization of marijuana, if you will. So first, a little bit about CV Sciences. We are an industry leader in hemp-derived cannabinoid products, both topical and ingestible. Our flagship brand is Plus CBD, and we've been at this since the beginning. So we really have set the set standards and quality and science. We've been big advocates of creating a, a, a legal, responsible hemp-derived CBD industry here in the U.S. We've been on the front lines of things like advocating for and passing the 2018 Farm Bill. Uh, we were the first company to do uh, formal and publish safety studies, toxicology studies on a hemp extract with CBD. So really trying to create a space where consumers can trust and have access to well-made and safe CBD products. A little bit about myself is I uh, came to CV Sciences two years, but prior to that, <clears throat> I had a 20-year career in dietary supplements, uh, 10 of that working in Washington, D.C. on science and policy issues. While in D.C., the subject of CBD as an ingredient in dietary supplements and functional foods and beverages just became it sucked all the oxygen out of the room. Everybody was talking about CBD, especially after the 2018 Farm Bill had passed and people were, were big companies wanting to add it as an ingredient. And that's really where, where I was involved in the, the, the tornado of conversations between FDA, the industry, Congress. What do we do with this new legal ingredient? So one of the things that has occurred is the, the distinction made when the farm bill passed that 0.3% becomes this arbitrary cutoff that separates the plant, one plant, they're all cannabis sativa, but now we have the separate distinction of hemp or nationally legal hemp. So you have this plant where it's completely legal, you can ship it across state lines, grow it as an agricultural commodity, extract its deliveratives, you can make cement, floors, whatever it is. But if it goes above that line, it's still federally illegal. So let's say you're in the business of working with the federally illegal plant, marijuana, what kind of opportunities are out there for you? So the, the, the primary opportunity right now is the state-based states like Washington, Oregon, Colorado, where they, within the state, have made this plant legal. So as a, you know, as an entrepreneur or a business person, that's one of your best bets if you're going to be in the marijuana business. Now, some people are trying to do the multi-state operator where they have a brand in multiple states, but there's a lot of operational challenges there. The other market you have access to is the medical market or the compassionate use uh, you know, for using cannabis with above 0.3% THC for people with medical conditions. Um, 
And then, of course, the final thing you can do that's one step further is actually develop a prescription drug. Um, GW Pharmaceuticals was successful at developing Epidiolex for, for serious seizures. And that's a very predictable route. You can grow marijuana, you can do the drug development process, and the sky's the limit for other cannabinoid drugs, other drugs that contain THC, CBD, whatnot. FDA has really opened the door, written guidance documents, invited people to continue to do R&D in that space. Let's switch over to the hemp-derived products. And so here, this is federally legal. So presumably you have access to all types of consumer products, foods, beverages, dietary supplements, gel caps, gummies, pet dietary supplements, over-the-counter topicals. So, so that actually, if you think about it, is probably one of the biggest market opportunities because it's across all 50 states. It's multiple product categories. So you can see how, how the, the people really excited the potential for this new plant and ingredients derived from it. <clears throat> I'm going to take a minute to kind of go a little more in-depth in each of these two uh areas. So we have the drug chemovars or above 0.3%, the recreational market. Again, the operational challenges. I have colleagues that work in this space. You have burdensome regulations. Uh, sometimes they're patchwork even within a state with counties. Um, you know, the market access, the number of retail outlets. There's just a lot of things that you have to um, overcome to be a successful cannabis brand that you just don't have in other consumer product categories. And so it's, it, you know, great opportunity, great challenges. Uh, there's also varied enforcement. There was really aggressive enforcement in California when the law first passed, but word on the street now is that there's a lot, you know, once COVID happened, resources got, you know, sucked away and you're seeing a lot of bad actors kind of, uh, do things they shouldn't be doing, you know, with with regard to compliance. You also have the tax uh, structure to deal with in the recreational, you know, a lot of complaints about the taxes being too high. A lot of celebration though, the states are collecting billions and billions of dollars in tax revenue, which is really driving this industry forward. Um, moving over to medical. So if you're, if you're not a brand that wants to work in recreational or a grower or, or other type of Part of the supply chain, you have access to the, the medical marijuana and states that allow for that. And, you know, my observation here is probably a little different than a lot of people's, you know, being in D.C. for 10 years. There's really a lot of uh, well entrenched stakeholders, whether it's the drug industry or congressional representatives or even consumer groups that, that are around certain medical conditions. There's a strong feeling that if someone is going to take a product and claim that it's to treat a disease or to prevent a disease or to cure a disease, that that product should go and meet the FDA standard. That, that the consumer's expectation, if it's given something by their doctor to treat a disease, that it's, there's a cause and effect relationship that's been established scientifically. And so DC and, and the DC stakeholders are really challenged that cannabis would get a free pass on this and you know some state laws actually list out the medical conditions for which you can prescribe cannabis and if you look at it in some of those medical conditions we have like no scientific research and so from the critics of that you can see how there, there's a there's a good argument to be made that that's not such a uh, sound framework to 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 consider this um 
because you juxtapose that to the last category, prescription drugs, where it's a very transparent, uh, predictive, you know, you have to have so much science to show it's safe, so much to science to show that it's the right amount, and so much science to show that it's effective. Uh, you can use any type of cannabinoid, whether it be synthetic, a phytocannabinoid, endocannabinoid, and from the drug research that I'm reading in the literature, we're likely to see an evolution away from the plant to more synthetic cannabinoids, um, just based on how drug research is conducted. So again, to summarize this slide, it's just all the markets. If you were a grower or a cannabis person that, that was looking for entrepreneurial opportunities, these are the markets you're looking at. Unless, of course, you're a complete renegade and you're just not going to follow any rules. And we see a lot of that in cannabis, too. Have you seen this thing, man? Come here, come here. Hey, I gotta tell you, man, this is something else. This is a Durachill. It's incredible. I'm telling you, if you're not using this Durachill, you're not really in the pot business. You're just on the fringe of it. So if you really want to get serious, man, this is what you need. You need a Durachill in your life. And you heard it from me, Tommy Chong. So then to the hemp market. So again, this is a, a nationally legal below 0.3% THC. 2018 Farm Bill legalized it. People were dancing in the street. Huge market potential for cannabinoid CBD that are derived from hemp, no longer illegal. And many individuals, including congressional sponsors of the Farm Bill, thought that when the Farm Bill passed, that CBD was just legal to be added to consumer products. What they fail to recognize that in the details is the law explicitly retains FDA's authority over the different products it regulates. So even though CBD is completely legal, you could add it to shoe polish, you could build a table with it. FDA says if you want to add it to food, cosmetics, or pet supplements, you got to come to us and you got to follow our, our rules. And so industry was sort of left in a regulatory gray area with this exploding and evolving market and then FDA announcing, we've got some rules that you got to think about. So first and most impactful is in the area of food. There was a very big oversight on the industry's part <clears throat> that FDA has a policy that a lot of people probably don't even know about. And it is essentially that if a company or an individual has begun to research it, a substance with the intent to make a drug out of it, that once they start that research and make it public, that that ingredient can no longer be added to dietary supplements and food. So it's a, it's a first to market provision. It's to protect the investment into drug research. It makes some sense from their perspective, uh, but a lot of people did not realize, wait a minute, CBD has already been researched as a drug, so you can't add it to food and supplements. So this has started about a two year dialogue between the agency and the industry trying to figure this out. And it's, it's, it's somewhat confusing because there already exists ingredients that coexist simultaneously in all of these categories. So this example is a good one to kind of take a look at. So you have on the top, omega-3 fatty acids from fish oil. And these are legally and appropriately added to food as food additives under the food additive regulation. At the same time, they're legally and appropriately added to dietary supplements made under dietary supplement manufacturing standards, labeled to supplement standards. 
At the same time, there's also a prescription drug. There's actually more than one using fish oil as the active ingredient. You juxtapose that to hemp and CBD. We have lots of hemp ingredients in the food supply, hemp hearts, hemp oils, hemp fibers. We've in the last five years seen this explosion of hemp derived CBD supplements, gummies, tinctures, capsules. And at the same time, we have an approved CBD prescription drug. So what's the difference here? Well, it was just the timing. So in the example on the top, Fish oil had been around as a dietary supplement since the 70s, and it wasn't until the late 80s that someone decided to research its benefits for treating heart disease. So once they got their approval for heart disease, they're allowed to coexist. Flip it, when 2018 Farm Bill passed and the CBD products exploded, there was already a, a approved prescription drug. And so FDA's position is you can't introduce those products because we already have this drug. What's unique about this is before the farm bill, you could never have these supplements. They, were, they would have been considered controlled substances to have a hemp extract like this. And so it's created a real interesting legal regulatory quagmire that FDA is still trying to figure out what its next move is. And here, take a close look. And this is why FDA can't just come down heavy handed is, this is the exact language from the regulation. And it says essentially that if a substance that's an active ingredient in a drug, or it's been approved as a drug or authorized an investigation as a drug, and those, those studies have been made public, it can't be added to food and substance. I've highlighted substance there in yellow to show that's their language. And they say, if a substance is the active ingredient. So people quickly said, well, what is the substance that's the active ingredient in the drug that we're talking about? Because we in the hemp derived CBD space knows there's a lot of different variations of CBD ingredients, everything from crude extracts, refined oils, broad spectrum, full spectrum. You've got these different variations of ingredients. So how is one substance the same as all of these other substances? And so that's at the core of the argument that industry says our hemp extracts are CBD plus other cannabinoids, plus terpenes and fatty acids and other cannabinoids. And your drug ingredient is a highly purified CBD derived from a cannabis plant that's high in THC. So how are those two things different? It, this is a very unresolved legal issue. It hasn't gone to the courts. FDA is actively exploring a regulatory path. It's made public statements repeatedly. We've had public meetings. They're asking for safety data. They know they don't have a clear path to shut this down. In fact, the previous FDA commissioner was quoted saying it's a fool's game to try to keep consumers from CBD. That's a smart person there who's basically saying we've got to find a way to give consumers access to safe, well-made, tested CBD products, because if we don't, they're going to just go on the black market. So this has been such a hot topic um, between DC, you know, the between, excuse me, FDA, uh, Congress, lawyers, Congress has stepped back in and introduced a variety of legislation that would clarify this. So those who were working on the farm bill the first time said, man, we didn't, we didn't get it right the first time. We've got to add this little piece here that removes that IND issue I talked about, that first to market drug protection for these hemp products. So there's two bills, there's one in the House, there's one in the Senate to try to fix this mess. 
And so FDA was asked about this legislation. And if this is not uncommon to have a, a major public agency be asked about major legislation. And so FDA was very clear it was not endorsing it, doesn't want this or not want this, but it said, you know, in order to, to mitigate some of the public health risks or possible operational concerns we have, here are a few changes that we'd like to see in your legislation. One of them was very clear. This is about hemp only. <clears throat> Farm bill made hemp legal. We see that there's a little bit of an issue here, but we will not open the door to synthetic CBD or other sources of CBD. This is not a free-for-all to compete with the approved drug ingredient. This has to be about hemp and hemp extracts. It also said this is about CBD only. They're not willing to open the door for all the minor cannabinoids, THC. They feel like the way the law is written, it cracks the door open to say, well, if the THC comes from hemp, then it could be a dietary supplement ingredient. And FDA is very clear, it does not uh, condone THC at above the legal limits for, for various safety reasons. <clears throat> They'd also like to set serving size limits for CBD. This is interesting because it's inconsistent with how it regulates other herbal products and other herbal dietary ingredients. For example, herbs with caffeine in them, we know there is an unsafe level of caffeine. We know that if you consume excess caffeine, you can have palpitations and high blood pressure and lots of adverse effects. Yet FDA's never set a formal limit. It just says you have to formulate to safe levels. And so if it sets serving size limits for CBD, that's just out of character with its other, but they have the authority to do it. It's also gonna require a pre-market safety review of products as well as different label statements like you know, not for pregnancy, but required mandated label statements. Again, in the category of dietary supplements, a lot of it's up to the manufacturer. If it has some label safety statement, it's a voluntary action to, to, to communicate with the consumer. This is FDA saying, no, we are gonna require certain statements on CBD products. So again, I share all this just for those who are not close to this topic to see how much evolution there has been in creating a legal regulated hemp derived CBD marketplace that consumers will be able to go to any retail store or shop on Amazon or you know, and to access this part of the cannabis plant in a very mainstream um, consumer product way. So that is the, the, the depth of the issue for, for the biggest markets, which are both food and dietary supplements, but FDA has other regulated categories. For example, FDA also regulates topical cosmetics, you know, our lotions and our salves and our balms, and it has no objection of using hemp or its derivatives in a topical cosmetic product, as long as you follow all of their regulations. Now, what many don't realize is that cosmetic products, the claims you're allowed to make are limited to beauty and moisturizing skin. So beautification of the skin, moisturization of the skin, the skin's appearance. So if you're adding CBD because you think it's helpful for joint pain or arthritis, you technically can't say those things in a cosmetic product. So again, limited ability to communicate the benefits of CBD. So, you know, some, some, um, filtration of your ability to be successful, frankly, in that market. There's a lot of products with CBD added, but it's really difficult to the, communicate to the consumer the benefit. CBD is also in pet supplements, but it's very clearly not in pet food or feed. 
FDA regulates the supplements that pets take, and it does allow the CBD in a similar way that it does in um, humans. They're, you know, we're working out some of the details. They have wrote, written warning letters to a bunch of companies, but for companies that are following the rules, they're allowing it. But for pet food, like your regular old pet food, that's regulated at the state level by an organization called AFCO, and they have strictly, strictly prohibited the addition of CBD to any animal food or feed. Now, uh, the last category I'll talk about is over-the-counter topical drugs. So these are like our Bengays, our uh, topical pain creams. Now, FDA has written warning letters that says you cannot add CBD to these topicals, but industry has been pushing back to say, you know, CBD can be an inactive ingredient in these products that's added for its formula function or its cosmetic function. And so again, regulatory gray area, there are companies that are doing very well with OTC topicals. You'll find them at mainstream retailers. Uh, they're following all the regulations, but we have these two warning letters sitting out there to put a little bit of a, a pause on that for some. I'm going to shift the conversation. So I, I kind of laid out the state of the market for, for both cannabis above 0.3% as well as hemp products. And this is all pre-legalization. A, a lot of the way the market is shaped right now is due to the varied regulatory structures that, that, that we're allowed to operate in. And a lot of it doesn't make sense to a consumer, frankly. But I'm trying to, this schematic here that I put together, this is sort of my pre-legalization business schematic where the light gray area represents what's considered legal. For example, the blue, if you wanna make a prescription drug and follow FDA's rules, totally legal, operate in the blue space. If you wanna operate with a THC positive plant or a drug cultivar, you have the legal and recreational markets, but you're looking at a patchwork of opportunities there. You can see I put the, the, the sort of proposed dollar value for those markets. And so as a business person, you're like, hey, you know, I'd love to go into Montana, but that's only a 35 million a year market. So how much market share do I have to capture before that becomes worth it? Um, and then of course, a lot of companies are playing the multi-state operator with hopes, I'm assuming that once national reform happens, they'll have brand recognition, they'll have, you know, the know-how for sourcing and great products, and they'll be able to explode onto the scene. Then we have over there, we have hemp sitting and kind of half in the legal and half out of legal. And I, I, I kind of put it that way just because FDA's lack of full clarity. Plus, if you look at the products that are available, some are very compliant, operating under good manufacturing practices, labeling, right, not making crazy claims. And some hemp companies, unfortunately, are, are, are bad actors. And that's why FDA has written a ton of warning letters. But this is, this is where this gets interesting. Imagine that there's national reform of cannabis. What happens to all these different markets? And, you know, sit around the coffee table with friends in the, in the business. And it's really interesting that what will happen, you know, will it be regulated like alcohol? Will FDA regulate it? What's going to happen? Will there be a new cannabis board? And so one of the possible outcomes, again, this is my opinion. This is all speculative. This has nothing to do with CV Science's opinion or our products. It's just what's going to happen here. And so I think what's going to happen is the hemp products are going to be very different than the 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 positive THC products. And for example, you're going to have hemp products and FDA regulated product, uh, you know, so your cosmetics, topicals, dietary supplements, but they're going to be very uh, 
low in THC. They'll be dominantly nutritious products. Probably see a lot of innovation in hemp fibers, hemp nutrition products, different cosmetics. Um, I saw that Colgate just got a patent for antimicrobial mouthwash using CBD as the, the antimicrobial agent. So we'll see a lot of products like that kind of outside, but of the people who are trying to you know, consume THC, what will happen in that marketplace? Some of my predictions there is that we're going to see more predict, uh, prescription drugs. We're going to see drug companies really embrace the, the cannabis plant cannabinoids individually. They're going to be looking at other indications. You know, we have a handful of rare seizures right now. We have another company looking at um, spasticity for muscle multiple sclerosis. I think we'll just see an explosion. And why an explosion? Because right now it's still a lot of red tape. If you're a drug company and you want to research cannabis, there's a lot of extra steps a lot of steps you have to take with the DEA. It's hard to ship samples. It's hard to, you know, there's all kinds of things that just make drug companies say that's just a, a pain, right? But if that's all lifted, they're going to be on it. You know, there's not that many plants that haven't been looked at so close by that industry. Now, the recreational, I think the recreational market will do one of the best. You know, this is a very lucrative area. We're going to have brands that are going after different sub consumers, you know, it'll be a popularity contest, you know, who's your consumer, what kind of recreational cannabis product. But the, the shared thing here is everyone will be looking to get high. Why I think this is interesting is you see that I have the medical crossed out because I think that as the, the prescription drug market gets going, the logical thing is for there'll be people saying you cannot make medical claims unless you've got FDA approval It'll be harder and harder for the medical marijuana industry to, to exist. But what happens to those people that have been enjoying medical marijuana for their ailments, but they don't want to be high? That's where the center of this diagram here, the cannabis wellness. I think you're going to see a new type of consumer that's trying to manage their aches and pains, that's trying to manage their mild anxiety, that, that is trying to stay centered. They like THC, but they don't want to be high. And I think they'll be looking for products with lower amounts made in a trustable way under good manufacturing practices, possibly combined with other ingredients like, you know, CBD, THC, and CBN and magnesium for sleep or something like that. If there's no illegal piece of this, there's no reason that this can't occur. And so this is sort of my prediction of where things could go. Um, and I love talking to folks about these kinds of ideas. So I'm looking forward to the question and answer that goes directly after this. Thank you all for listening. Thank you for taking some time out of your day. And I appreciated sharing some of my uh, experience.